1: The tennis world is down under for the first major of 2023. And as we reach the business end of the tournament, these stars are all looking to shine in Melbourne. Nothing went right overnight for Team USA. Seth Corda was forced to shut it down in the third, and Jesse Pagula fell to a future Hall of Famer. But tonight, with fast-rising Tommy Paul facing breakout phenom Ben Shelton, one American is guaranteed to make the semifinals.
2: That's my boy. Come on, another one?
1: And last month, tennis lost one of its brightest lights with the passing of Nick Bollettieri. Our panel will share their memories of the coaching legend. We look forward to saluting the great Nick Volatari later in the show. Here is the featured matches coming up on Rod Laver Arena tonight. Starting with Carolina Pliskova and Magda Lynette, followed by Aryna Sabalenka and Donna Vekic. Then it is the All-American quarterfinal between Ben Shelton and Tommy Paul with Novak Djokovic and Andre Rublev in the night session. Benny Scheltz getting ready to go for his big match. Take a look at this, the sprints, the twirls. Youngest American man to reach the quarterfinals of a major since Andy Roddick continues his dream run in Melbourne. Magda Lynette said she assumed, like everyone else, Iga Sviantek would still be in the draw, but, quote, that didn't happen. So the hopes of a nation now on Lynette's shoulders. As we welcome you in to our studios in Santa Monica, Steve Weissman, Lindsey Davenport, John Wertham, Prakash Amitraj, great to be back with you on day 10 as we look to fill up the semifinals. We're down to two Americans remaining, but one guaranteed to move on. What was your big thought from yesterday, Prakash?
2: Uh, I'm going to take a quote from the great Denzel Washington, you hang around the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a cut. And I think that's what's happening with Stefano Tsitsipas right now, he's giving himself shots. He's into his fifth semi. He looked really, really comfortable in yesterday's match. And he's just coming in with a little bit of a different attitude right now. I think he's um, just in a very happy mindset, not getting down on himself as much. And I know we got a guy who's won this thing a few times, still left in the draw. But I think Steph's got a real shot here.
3: It's just made a lot of tennis fans nervous, referencing Tsitsipas and haircut. For the record, it was, uh, it was figurative. You but know, would I you say scared. he's a man on fire? <laughs> well, not quite yet. He's going to need to, to it a couple more.
2: A couple get, more training days, and get, then we'll get there. Uh, I see what you're doing. You're very good. <laughs> Lindsay, it's up to you.
4: Well, continuing that same theme, I really thought Jessie Pagula, with her fifth Grand Slam quarterfinal, would have learned from some previous ones and really maybe felt like, okay, this is my time. This is where I'm really going to step up. It's so a next jump. Once you're three in the world, it's all about the majors trying to get to the final, let alone a semi. But she fell short, and she played a, a pretty flat match, didn't come in with maybe the best game plan, and only won five games. I was really surprised at that. Mm-hmm.
3: Unless you're Australian, it's a long way to get home from this tournament. It gives players a lot of time to think. And I'm always interested in framing. And I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but if you're Pagula, to use your example, do you say – hey, I got to my fourth quarterfinal in the last five majors, or do you say, boy, I kind of didn't show up at my best tennis when it mattered? If you're Korda, who we'll talk about, Sebastian Korda, do you say, hey, I got to a quarterfinal, I beat a former number one in Medvedev, or do you say, did close and leave with an injury? I think it's really interesting to see how players frame their departure from these majors.
1: So Seb Korda says zero negative thoughts, so he's oh. got to be theming it in, in that positive nature. And we'll get to his injury later. Hopefully all good there. But we begin, as Lindsay said, with Jesse Pagola, third straight quarterfinal in Melbourne and facing the two-time Aussie Open champion in Victoria Azarenka. Yeah,
4: a lot of credit to Vika, who was ready to go when this match started. She spoke afterwards how her whole goal was to get it out of the strike zone, away from hit height of Pagula, and she did that. She put up some higher balls. We saw some slices. She was trying to do everything she could to disrupt the rhythm of Pagula. Really tough match for Pagula. in total. Only won 44% of her overall service points. That is not going to cut it when you get to the latter rounds of a major and also only played one service game where she didn't face break point. This day and age, you got to be able to step to the line and rely on your serve. Bika was very yeah. solid. She was ready to go. I was wondering if fatigue might set in a little bit for Azarenka. She's had some pretty dramatic matches, but not at all. The experience really showed for Azarenka. She was okay. solid. She was motivated. And she was positive. And again, she used a lot of variety to get a lot of errors from Pagula. It's
1: is one of her favorite courts to play on. Listen, this is her first top five win since 2012 against Maria Sharapova. Getting back to the semifinals here for the first time in a decade. Incredible stuff for Victoria Azarenka to push through and get past Jesse Pagula. And into the final four here a couple great friends with a nice embrace at the net. Let's hear from both players beginning with the American.
4: Tough match. I think she played at a high level like the entire time. Um, I felt like every time I tried to get a little bit momentum. I just wasn't able to really grab a hold of it. Um, I don't think I played my best, but I also think that she played. She played very well from the start and um, didn't have too many uh, ups and downs throughout the match.
0: I knew from the first point I have to bring it. We had so many, you know, so many rallies, and I just wanted to try to stay, stay there, take opportunities because uh, uh, she was,
4: you know, sh- she was gonna take everything if I don't, if, if I don't uh, try to win myself. And I'm very proud that I executed my game plan really well. And uh, yeah, it's so amazing to be in the semifinal of uh, another Grand Slam.
1: Sure is. Take a look at Vika victorious, the two-time champ. Of course, that was a decade ago for semifinal. Since winning the title in 2013, most wins at a single major. Made the tournament debut back in 2006. That's a long time ago, John. Uh, you think about Victoria Zverenko and winning those two titles, and she said after you brought this up, it took her 10 years to get over something there.
3: Yeah, she said when she played in the final decade ago, she basically had a equivalent of a panic attack. She spoke about it yesterday after the match and said, listen, between the, the panic attack and the media criticism that followed, that took me a long time to get over. I don't know if you caught what she was wearing, her her attire when she did that interview, but she had a PSG, a Paris Saint math soccer sweatshirt on. Well, why would she have that? Well, that's her son's favorite team. And I think we forget. I mean, she's sort of a blunt instrument, both in ball striking and also maybe personality-wise when she won. She's really changed. Her game might be the same, but as a figure in this sport, as sort of this this source of wisdom, where we talk about she's coming in, she's wearing sunglasses, she's speaking (laughs) openly, she's talking about her her mental health struggles. I mean, she's really evolved as a person. And man, 10 years between majors, that would be, what a story.
2: We've been talking so much about opportunities and how each players are looking at their opportunity in the events. And it really seemed like yesterday Vika just came in and said, you know what, I don't know how many more chances I'm going to get at this. I'm going to be keyed in right from the start. And her body language, I thought, was worlds better than Jessie's. Jessie, although she's had such a stupendous last 12, 18 months, she just seemed a little bit unsure out there. And I think that body language translated a bit into the game. Vika was just on point. Really, really good signs moving forward
1: is now 0-5 in major quarterfinals. What could she have done different in this match?
4: That's the thing. I mean, you want to bring your best tennis in the biggest matches. You also want to bring your best tennis the second week. I don't know. I mean, you you have to start trying to change things a little bit. She's obviously playing great. She's Mm -hmm. three in the world. But I don't know, maybe you look at if she doesn't spend as much time on the doubles or mixed doubles court, or maybe you look at does practice help or something. Something's got to change for her to be able to get over that hump of a quarterfinal. It could be all mental. It could be all emotional. We don't know, and that's up to really the team to kind of figure out how do we get her more ready for these quarterfinal matches before she would say oh I've got tough draws I get the number one player I get Iga this was a golden opportunity for her that was unfortunately for her her bad match of the two weeks and you always have one sometimes you have two you got to figure out a way to get through it and she just couldn't do it against Azarenka
1: still in the doubles with Coco Goff, so hoping to get a major title there. They're in the quarterfinals. They play later today. Meantime, the American man, three of them in the final eight. Semi quarter, one of them taking on Corinne Hatchinoff Perkash. the Russian, says he has reinvented himself, but good early.
2: Seems in a great place mentally. He came in keyed up from the start. Said he got off to a bit of a slow start. Fought back there. Was able to get the break back when Hatchinov served for the first set. But a few errors which creeped in on big moments which weren't quite there in the big moments in his match against Perkach. And then after, Hatshnal was able to get this set with a marvelous little 80-20 mix-up here, 20% soft with the slice. Then comes in with the big power backhand down the line. Really, real thinking thinking man's play out there. Takes that first set. On serve here in the second. This is when the first injury timeout came. 3-2 for Korda in the second set. Problem was, after that wasn't able to get another game. It was surely creeping into his head a bit, but to Hatchinov's credit, really stayed clean, didn't really go for too many shots that weren't there, waited for his opportunities, and executed. When an opponent's a little bit injured, he really wanted to take him out of the match.
1: This would be the last point that they would play as Hatchinov would go up three loves in the third set, and Korda just had to call it retiring with that right Wrist injury hatching off into his second straight Grand Slam semi-final and Sebi explained what went on with that injury after the match.
3: I knew kind of what it was right away right when I hit the return. I, I kind of felt that spot that I was feeling before and um, like I said, I mean some forehands I couldn't even hold the racket volleying was almost impossible for me. So it was a. Uh, It was a little tough
4: back to back semi-finals in a grand slam uh feels great you know obviously not the way you want to finish the match you know i think until a certain point it was very competitive very good battle uh sebastian beat one of my friends daniel in three sets and uh in five sets against horkac you know he's playing great tennis so give applause to him and uh uh, yeah I'm, i'm feeling good
0: to be honest
1: Now take a look at the match stats and you can see the unforced errors near 40 for Sebi Korda. A great ratio of winners there for Corinne Hatchinoff. Served well, 12 aces, no double faults. I mean, great match from him. Korda said uh, he had that injury a little bit in Adelaide a couple weeks ago. It was completely fine. Then he kind of mishit a return and started to bother him a lot. You've dealt with a wrist injury before. Kind of take us through what Sebi may have been going through.
2: Well, look, the wrist, you know, it has so many little ligaments and joints in there. Um, You can go two ways about it. One, you end up having surgery. The other, you end up injecting it, and then you cast yourself up for possibly six to eight weeks. Lindsay, I know you've dealt with stuff like this as well. It, It took me out for a while on the left side, a little bit less time on the right side. The problem for Sebi, it's on his right hand. So if he's casted up here, he can't exactly practice with the left. If it was on the left, you can at least practice some shots. So very curious about the diagnosis. He's playing such good mm-hmm. tennis. We really want to be able to see him at Indian Wells and Miami. Yeah,
4: and I think it was so hard too, just in having just the trip of his life, right? And all of a sudden finals of Adelaide and gets breaks through at a major for the first time. It's always tough then when it's a setback with an injury. Now he's dealing with a lot of unknowns. Obviously there'll be a lot of medical tests and a lot of doctor's opinions, but it's tough when you want to start start the year well and you do when you've got this momentum you almost feel like it's all taken away when an injury occurs and there will obviously be a lot of rehab and, and percussion right I mean the right wrist is nothing to mess around with it is very serious for a tennis player um, and you know that he's going to be so careful with his team but got to be some concern there that something came up and especially when it comes up on one shot you know if it's Absolutely. like a kind of aches you think oh it's tendonitis maybe rest but when you hurt something really quickly and it's painful Typically, that's not great.
3: He he said he knew it immediately. This wasn't cumulative. Other side of the net, Hatchinoff, this is a second straight semifinal. He said, I didn't want to win that way. That was a nice bit of sportsmanship. But you know what? You play in the fourth round and you win. Love, love, and then 7-6. And then you play your very next match and it doesn't finish because your opponent retires. In terms of tread on the tire, wear and tear, pretty good yeah. first two mails. Six sets in a row going into a semifinal. I
1: said this the other day. The guy's
3: got big weapons. No
1: real weaknesses. I mean, he's a problem for most players, Lindsay.
4: He is. And, you know, for a couple of years ago, his forehand. It was so unorthodox. It's this huge swing and both arms going this way. He's cleaned that shot up quite a bit and still a little bit of a big take back, but not nearly as big as it was a couple of years ago. You could tell he's put some technical work into that. He's very physical. He's got this great serve. And I think with the forehand now, more reliable and not breaking down and now, after having this little, this revised motion for a period of time, he's more confident in it. He's going to be tough to beat him. We saw it at the Open. He's continued it here. And in three out of five sets, he really likes that format.
2: We also just talk so much about the occasion. You know, Grand Slams are so different than any other event. And the latter stages of the Grand Slams, even more different than the beginning of a Grand Slam. Karen has a semifinal under his belt now, and I think that experience is going to come in hugely handy as he takes on his next opponent. He at least has that feeling of, you know what, I've been there. Now I can kind of focus on the tennis as opposed to the occasion. That's a great point. Next opponent who he's never
1: beaten. We'll
3: get to that. 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 Very true. true. Get to that later, John.
2: (laughs) Uh, Of course, we send
1: our best to Seb as well. Hopefully that injury is just a minor thing, and uh, he is back on the court very soon. TC Live coming your way once again tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, leading up to live Tennis on ESPN2 at 9 p.m. Eastern. And our encore coverage with Brett Haber and Paul Anacone comes your way at 6 a.m. Eastern time. Still to come, the man we are talking about, or John is alluding to, Stefano Tsitsipas looking to stay perfect in major quarterfinals against Yuri Lehechka. Don't go anywhere.
3: TC Live at the Australian Open is brought to you in part by Tennis Express. We deliver tennis right to your front door. Order today, ships today. And by Bet365, the world's favorite sports
1: book. Welcome back to TC Live as we lead you up to first ball. The final spots in the final four up for grabs today. Day 10 in Melbourne Park. Beautiful day. Welcome back into our studio. Steve Weisman, with you. It is another name for the American flag. But these days, Old Glory has a new story in the tennis world. For the first time in nearly 30 years, there will be 10 American men ranked in the top 50 on Monday. And all but one are age 25 or younger. For more stories like that, make Tennis.com your online information source throughout the Australian Open and the entire 2023 season. Right now, Steve Tigner has your three to see on day 10 of the Aussie Open, and John Burcock has your stat of the day. It is now time for the Daily Forecast with Fox Weather.
3: Hi there, tennis fans. I'm Fox Weather's Britta Merwin, and here's today's Australian Open forecast. We're looking at the weather in Melbourne, Australia. Pretty good today. Partly cloudy skies with temperatures at 70 degrees. Now you can download the Fox Weather app or stream Fox Weather from your favorite connected TV device.
1: Thanks, Britta. Still to come: a couple major champions on grass and clay clash on the blue hard courts of Melbourne. Would it be Elena Rybakina or Elena Ostapenko reaching the final four? Welcome back, Karolina Pliskova, former world number one. Still looking for that elusive major title. She's been to two finals. Looking to get back to the semis here in Australia. If she does that, she'll be back in the top 20 in the world. Yesterday, reigning Wimbledon champ Elena Rybakina looking to back up her win against Iga Sviantek facing former Roland Garros champ Elena Ostapenko. Lindsay, the Latvian, had won both of their previous matches.
4: Yeah, but it was a different match, and you could tell early on that Ostapenko was not going to be able to play off her front foot as much as she was against Goff when she was able to just rip her ground stroke. Rybakina has served so well, they had to close the roof midway through the first set, and that played into Rybakina's advantage even more. She's been served so well this tournament, and now with the ground strokes also following them and coming to net. Ostapenko does not play good defense, and Rabakina was really tight on the first strike tennis. She was inside the court to return second serves. She was serving well, and she never let Ostapenko really play off her front foot.
1: She did not 11 aces. What a way to finish. Broke four times, saved seven of eight break points into her first semifinal. At the Australian Open.
0: The level of the match was, I think, much lower than the the previous one. Felt like me and Coco, we had like a really high uh, level of tennis and we played really well, so it's... uh, little a little shame that I couldn't bring this level of the tennis today
4: of course I was nervous especially in the last game to be honest Uh, not uh, as nervous as before the, uh, the match so yeah I'm super happy that I managed with the emotions and I played really well today
1: good to see that smile from Elena Rybakina obviously serving extremely well returning well at the Advantage on winners to unforced errors. Ostapenko was questioning the electronic line calling system throughout this match. John, uh, what did you think of that? As well as Rybakina paying no attention to it and just kind of going about her
3: business. Unpopular take, I love it. Ostapenko is, uh, is an individual; she does not care what anyone thinks of her. We just saw that post-match handshake, which was hit with a layer of permafrost. I had to like run for Lindsay's blanket. You know what I mean? She uh, does things her own way on the line calling. Look, I mean, there, there is a machine there. And until she, she's not overruling it, I mean, it's kind of amusing for those of us at home. I, you know what? I'll take her any day of the week. It gives us some entertainment. Sometimes it comes from the tennis, sometimes from the antics. But she doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't
1: bother me. But I, I thought it was impressive for Rybakina to literally pay no attention to it and just focus in on her side.
2: Look, I'm a huge fan of Rabak and there are so many different things you can pick from her game which are wonderful. I'm going to actually go to an intangible, which is her temperament. I think the fact that she doesn't really get flustered out there, pretty even keel all the way through, stands her in good Mm -hmm. stead, especially when she gets to the latter stages of slams, as we saw Mm -hmm. at Wimbledon last year. Also for someone who strikes the ball so big and so well, I think she blunts power quite Mm -hmm. nicely also. Yelena didn't connect with too many, as you said, Linz, yesterday, but when she did, gonna stayed up on that baseline, used the pace, got it back in play, and then kind of worked her way back into the point. She's going to be a tough customer to beat if she's serving that kind of numbers.
1: 1-0 against Victoria Azarenka. Where do you put Elena Rabakina among your favorites right now?
4: Well, it's interesting. If you were to compare the tennis and the advantages of Rybakina's game, it's obviously greater than Vika. But then you're dealing with a player who has so much experience in mm. Azarenka. And just getting to this round a few more times, yes, Rybakina won Wimbledon. But Vika has definitely been in more second weeks of a major than Rybakina. But I would take Rybakina's game and her serve... And the way that she goes about her business on the court, she has more upside. And so is gonna look to be steady, is gonna look to back up and make a lot of returns into play, make Robocina have to hit that one extra shot. But I know I always take really good offense over more of a defensive player, and I like Rabokina's offense a lot in Melbourne this year. Well, when you hit the ball like you, of course no. you <laughs> take offense over really
1: good defense. I thought defense was championships, apparently not.
4: No, I think the opposite. Yeah. I think definitely the opposite. It's just
1: football. I was say. <laughs> team,
3: team
1: sports. <laughs> individual,
3: individual sports are different.
1: <laughs> Stefano Foss, he has never lost at this stage of a major in the quarterfinals. And this year, Yuri Lahetska, when he had never played and won a match uh, yet at a major. But John, how would this play out?
3: Yeah, let's, let's stop and give Lahetska some credit. This was a real revelation, as you say, Steve. This was his first Australian Open, did himself proud, reaching week two. But. Uh, this was all Steph Matt, He was supposed to win, and spoiler alert, did win. Talk about offensive tennis. Really nice stuff from Steph. 36 winners, only 28 unforced errors. You know, he sort of sort of won this match twice. Look at this, little tweener action, but Steph's not going anywhere. When you're 6'6", you can do that with a lot. Really good stuff from Steph. This could have been a lot tighter, and I think he sort of sort of won this match twice. One on the scoreboard and the other on the clock, because we got to a the second set breaker, and this got Pretty tight. Steph won the breaker with, again, good offensive tennis. Mark Filipuzas, correlation or causation, but now in the box. And Steph has never played better, never served better. Rolled it out in the third set. And he had a one sort of hour off the boil against Sinner. And otherwise, he's been spectacular this tournament, reaching yet another semifinal. He's fourth in four years says this is his favorite tournament he sure plays like it he doesn't seem to have any of the nervousness and you know what he still has enough energy after these matches to flap his arms like crazy when he speaks to our colleague Jim Courier. that's a nice win from <laughs> arms slapping Steph Sitsapas saves
1: all eight break points that he faced improves to nine and zero this season gets back to the semifinals for the third straight year and this is a place that he absolutely loves to be at 6-0 in major quarterfinals. And remember, Stefano Tsitsipas and Novak Djokovic, the two players that can still get to number one in the world if they win the title here. John talked about it. Jim Courier with Steph after.
2: Australia is such a great country. Um, I like a lot of Aussie things, you know? Um, one of my favorite exercises comes from Australia, Margot Robbie. I wish I can. Margot Robbie? Are you pitching right now? What, what's happening? Am
1: I what? Pitching? Are you like, you know, making an, an offer? What are we seeing here? It would be nice to see you over there one day. Okay. <laughs> so you're, you're ex- officially extending an invitation to Margot Robbie. I just want to be crystal clear here. Absolutely. 2023, shoot your shot, Steph. Uh, She is married to Tom Ackerley. They got married in 2016, hopefully very happy. But either way, maybe as a fan, uh, she'd come and support Steph.
4: You know, something else he said in that interview was also, if he won the Australian Open, he was going to donate his prize money to help build a school in the state of Victoria there in... In Australia. I mean, if he's looking to get even more fans behind him, he was sensational in that whole interview with Jim Courier. I think he's really embraced playing down under. There's obviously a large Greek contingent of fans that go every year and support him. But when he plays out there, and you could hear it against Laheshka. It sounds like he's Aussie. I mean, this crowd has really <laughs> taken to him and really cheered him on. He gave them something more in the post-match interview as well. Um, I think he's the fan favorite going through to the, the end of this tournament.
2: And he's, he's, he's going out of his way to really embrace it in a genuine way. All his social media posts have different Aussie slang on it, and he's really bringing them in. But I just want to talk a little bit about where I think he is mentally right now versus maybe a year ago or two years ago. He even said it in his press conference. He said, my perspective is very different. You know, a lot of players come off their matches and they think, oh, gosh, I'm so tired. I had to be out there for so long. And now I'm looking at it as, oh, wow, I got such a great opportunity to play. I'm really enjoying myself. And that's keeping him in a better mindset to be able to go out there, more energy. He's, uh, he's just in a very thankful, gratitude-based type of mindset. I think really great for him.
3: And coming into this year, it was a bit of sort of a what have you done for me lately. Some, some bad losses at majors. His play on grass leaves something to be desired. Lost to Rune at the French Open. Alcaraz won the major. Sort of was this generation being skipped over. He had a lot to show coming into this year. And, boy, he has been terrific there. And, yes, he's learning how to use the crowd. And that, that is not uh, an irrelevant skill in this sport.
1: 5-0 and against Corinne Hatchinoff yeah. has never dropped a set against him on an outdoor hard court. Mm. So, fan favorite. He may be, yeah. like, a favorite yeah. favorite, no matter what. More TC Live on the way. Do not go anywhere. We will break down some more quarterfinals. But first, we salute the late Nick Volatari, a Hall of Fame coach who changed our sport forever.
0: One of the
3: towering figures in tennis never won a tournament, never played a pro match, and never even played for his college team. Yet Nick Bollettieri applied his own brand of topspin to the sport and ended up impacting tennis as profoundly as any of a dozen Grand Slam champions put together. Nick Bollettieri's story is as colorful and incomparable as the man himself. A former army lieutenant, he dropped out of law school and began teaching tennis. He understood technique well enough, but what he really grasped was motivation, how to use his considerable force of personality to tease out improvement and toughness and character in his students.
2: Somehow along the way, God gave me the gift to be able to look at a person and be able to make little adjustments. I got the idea, gee whiz, If I put kids who really wanted to do something all together, you never know what would happen.
3: After serving as tennis director at various resorts and hotels, he had a thought. Why not set up my own shop? The Nick Bolletieri Tennis Academy, established in 1978, became the first boarding school for tennis. And it changed forever the way talent developed
2: giving scholarships to the best people, and using military discipline, having the kids march, march to eat, clean their clothes, shine their shoes. The academy became what it is today.
3: Voluntary caught the tennis boom, but he also expanded it. Those blooming in his Florida tennis hothouse included Andre Agassi and Jim Currier. The Williams sisters did stints there as well, and Boletari's also became a destination for international talent. Monica Seles, Anna Kournikova, and Maria Sharapova are among those who left home and crossed an ocean to head to Bradenton. And apart from the pros, the place nurtured thousands of players who had earned college tennis scholarships. Tan, toned, and often topless, Boletari did not always fit in with tennis's self-styled conservative image. This outspoken, unapologetically self-promoting man, happy to joke about being married seven times, was, shall we say, an acquired taste to some. Consider that for all his influence, he wasn't voted into the Tennis Hall of Fame until 2014, the week before he turned 83. His own memoir was titled, My Aces, My Faults. His success, though, it can't be debated. The list of champions he coached is unrivaled. IMG, the management behemoth, bought Volatari's tennis boarding school in 1987. It became the model for what is now the largest private sports academy in the world. And deep into his 80s, Volatari never stopped coaching, innovating, selling, and speaking. Nick, and he was on a first-name basis, it seemed with everyone, may not have been a world-class player. But he was a world-class front man for the sport, a champion for tennis, if not a tennis champion he will be recalled favorably and remembered well. He'll be imitated, both his irrepressible voice and his entrepreneurship.
2: I want Nick to be remembered for giving people hope, man, that they can be special, that they can achieve in life.
3: At the moment, we're left to consider this. How is it possible that a tennis figure so full of life has left us? Rest in peace, Nick.
1: Nick Bollettieri passed away on December 4th at the age of 91. He worked with 10 players, ranked number one in the world. Many of our colleagues like Jim Currier, Paul Anacone, Jimmy Arias, Mark Knowles. John, uh, what do you think his ultimate legacy is for our sport?
3: I think part of it is for our sport, and it's outside-the-box thinking, and you don't have to adhere to these to these guidelines and these pathways. He did it his way. But also, that Nick Bollettieri Tennis Academy, that's become the IMG Academy, which right now NBA players train there. NFL players train there. But I mean, what he did for sports training and sports science and cultivating sports talent, that goes way beyond tennis. Um, this, this is a figure who I think will age well in sports, certainly in tennis, but beyond. This is someone who really has a big, big impact across the board. What do you remember most about Nick?
2: I think the beautiful aspect is not only how he touched so many different champions. I remember Boris Becker talking about the fact that after he was with Andre and Boris started working with him after his first week, he said, oh, this man's not a tennis coach. This man's a motivator. And this was was the youngest Wimbledon champion of all time. This was someone who, you know, very few people can actually, you know, get through and be able to tell him something that he would listen to, and rightfully so. And Nick was able to, to do that. You know, it was so much not about the X's and O's in tennis. It was about all of the other things. And also, you take a minute and take a step back. You look at today's world, and there's so much about motivation and inspiration. You look at the David Goggins of the world and so mm-hmm. forth. Nick was Nick was that guy before it was it was really a thing. And, you know, a trailblazer, as always.
1: When I grew up, the Boletarian Academy was a dream. I mean, that was yeah. the mecca of tennis. Nick was the ultimate coach. I was never good enough to actually be able to play there, but, I, you know, I got to spend some time with him later in life. And, had that privilege, and uh, he was just so kind and generous with his words. You see the Hall of Fame cast of players that he was able to kind of mold and take to legendary status from Agassi to Becker, Currier, Hingis, Cellas, Sharapova, future Hall of Famers like the Williams sisters, uh, what memories come to mind when you think of Nick, Lindsay?
4: Well you, you can't find someone that wasn't touched by Nick in some way. And for some of these players, it was on court. Uh, Tommy Haas is also another player who <laughs> with Nick since I think he was about 10 years old. Um, but he was such a kind man as well. And in this sport, you just never know what you were gonna get with people. You always knew what you were gonna get with Nick. And even these last couple of years, now living in Florida, he was always coming around the academy still, and someone would drive him in a golf cart, and he was handing out motivational cards to all the kids (laughs) there. He would stop on courts and watch the kids and cheer them on, and he's in his late 80s, early 90s, and he's still out there trying to make a difference. You know, he is just from, as Prakash was saying, a special different mold of always wanting to help people, always having this infectious energy. Um, he touched so many people's lives in tennis, mm-hmm. but also, I, I think, all around the world.
3: It did take tennis a bit of time to warm to him, right? He's, he's passing out cards, and he never had a formal resume, and he's, he's topless, and he's shouting out inspirational studies, but he doesn't know about extreme grips. I mean, keep in mind how long it took before he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. I mean, two 2000- thousand. 14. You see him right here with uh, a certain Lindsey Davenport in the middle. You know, he was in his 80s by then. Yeah. I think about the impact he had, the champions that he minted that you showed, Steve. It took him a long time, but in the end, who couldn't accept this guy as a force of good in tennis?
1: Yeah, I mean, we use the word legend far too often, but there is yeah. no better way to describe yeah. Nick Bolletary. He changed the sport of tennis forever. We miss you, Nicky. More still to come here on TC Live. More time stat of the day. Bet 365 match previews. Guaranteed winners and doubles highlights. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Donna Vekic getting ready to go. Second career major quarterfinal. It has been a minute for her, but... She is playing some great tennis, won 16 of her past 19 matches, including her last seven as a winning head-to-head. Good pal Eva Maioli there. Yeah. Yes, yes indeed. Some men's doubles. This match to reach the semifinals. The French duo of Jeremy Chardy and Fabrice Martin taking on Marcelo Arevalo and Jean-Julien Roger. gosh, you know him well.
2: Absolutely, former Bruins standout uh, uh, Arevalo and Roger have had a fantastic start to the season. Took the title in Adelaide, and they're coming off four titles last year, including the French Open. Was a rough one today, though. The French team got that first set. Arrelo Roger firing it up as their famous for. By the way, John Julian Roger, in his early forties, mm-hmm. still took that French Open title last year. Had a couple of match points, and he's known for his quick hands. But both of these points, I think, under normal circumstances, he would have, he would have. Gotten the first one, been able to put his hand on the second one, wasn't able to get either, they end up losing their serve. It goes into a breaker, and somehow, for match points down, Frenchmen are able to come through, take out the French Open chance, move on. Match
1: was super close. Arevalo-Roger actually won more total points, just not the right one. So the French pair moving on to the semis to face the team that upset two seeds. Bram and Salisbury in the third round. The top seeds, Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skupski, played their quarterfinal match today. Over in mixed doubles, we've got our Taylor Townsend teaming up with Jamie Murray to face four-time mixed doubles champ Desiree Krafchak and her partner, Neil
3: Skupski. All sorts of symmetry here. Look, uh, American woman, British male, a very close, tight match. Jamie Murray has had all sorts of success in Mick. We all know about Taylor Townsend in her hands. This was, uh, look at some of these points here. And the one thing about doubles, the errors to winners ratio is just absurd in these matches. This was 21 to 6, 17 to 5, a lot of shot making, a lot of fun. This was really a, a close match. Both teams broke serve three times. Team A won a set, Team B won a set. To a super tie break, we go. And a couple of points here and there. That was Kravchak knocking off the volley. Look at this shot making here. Uh, Ball game, 61 points for one team, 60 for the other. But in the end, it is Kravchak and Skupski advancing. So mixed
1: dumps now down to the final four. Kravchak, Skupski take on the Indian duo of Sanya Mirza and Rohan Bopana. This is the last dance for Mirza Prakash.
2: She's retiring in Dubai. I mean, wouldn't it be special where she got her first Grand Slam Mixed Doubles title in Australia? Pretty special. She's able to get it again over here. Looking for number seven.
1: She's got six grand slams to her name for him, a world number one. What a way uh, to go out in the last major if she were able to get that done. Let's break down some of today's matchups, starting with our Tennis Express head-to-head between Donna Vekic, Arena Sabalenka. How about this? Vekic leads the head-to-head
2: 5-1. Is that right, Steve? Do we have
1: no, that one? one. Ah. It's 5-1. She, she won last year in San Diego. Uh, Lindsay, why do you think this matchup has been so one-sided?
4: Oh, that's a great question. I mean, Vekic... Can hold her own with her serve, right? She has actually a pretty good serve. And sometimes she hits the ball pretty flat also, and it comes through the court. It doesn't bounce up for Sabalenka and give her time. I do think this is a much different and a much better and much more improved version of Sabalenka than we've seen before. And sometimes you throw out some of the results from before, previous. Uh, I think Sabalenka comes into this match not feeling the weight of being one in five and, and convincing herself, no, no, I'm playing better. I'm fitter than I've ever been. This is my tournament. Um, but Vekic, she's been fighting through this draw, but she has got to keep those unforced errors down, something she's been able to do in the past. It's absolutely crucial today. She keeps them down also. The big difference,
2: I think, we're noticing with Savalenka, too, and it could be related to the fitness, Lindsay, is she is a lot calmer out there. She's not really getting flustered with herself. And I think because she's in better shape, she's willing to kind of rely on that a little bit more. She doesn't have to get lose her patience out there, go for shots she shouldn't go for. She can hang in the rally a little bit longer, and that fitness is allowing her, I think, to make better decisions. Yeah. This this five to one head to head is, is mind boggling to me because I think on the X of the nose it should be very tight. And now, of course, Sabalenka does look a little bit better over these last ten days. I think that's going to shift a little bit. I think it's going to at least be 5-2, I think, <laughs> after, I, I, after this
3: <laughs> At least. I mean, so, you know, sometimes these head-to-heads. We look at them and they say, ah, oh, but was, it was, they haven't played in five years or that was on the clay of Rome. This is totally different. I mean, that's a lot of data points yeah. to the extent that you wonder if it doesn't get into the head of some. Like, I mean, there's one top five seed left in the draw. There's one player outside the top 50 in the draw, Vekic. 5-1 that the player sub-50 has that kind of a record against the top five seed? I think, you know, I'm thinking 5-2 as well, but that's that's a lot of data points. Could be in her
1: head. We shall see. Uh, Sabalenka does look like a a Grand Slam champion in the making, though. So far, hasn't dropped a set this entire year yet. Uh, Karolina Pliskova, Magda Lynette. Pliskova leads this head-to-head, 7-2. But once again, Lynette won their most recent matchup, King Cup. Wasn't that long ago. How do you see this one playing out?
4: I'd be surprised also if Pliskova, with her experience and her, even given her age and knowing that some opportunities have passed her by, she's got a great opportunity at this tournament she knows it she's also been serving better for last year the serve kind of deserted her a bit she lost her rhythm on some of them she was ended up coming around and slicing a lot of them which a lot of times means the yips are in play she's back to hitting through her serve and that's so important for her I'd be surprised with her experience if she wasn't able to get through this one. This would be by far the biggest match of Lynette's career. And a lot of times that can paralyze an opponent out there. I think Pliskova is the more relaxed player.
1: She's been in this position many, many times before. Magda Lynette has not. We'll see how it all plays out still to come here on TC Live. We've got a new debate. Should players be allowed to wear the same kit? Our experts let you know next. Back on TC Live as we enter the social net. We teased at Racket Magazine pleading with tennis to implement a rule that dictates when players with the same clothing kit face each other. They say the lower-ranked player must wear an alternate outfit. I completely agree. Yeah. What do you think, Lindsay?
4: I totally, totally agree. I, I was saying this story on the commercial. One year i playing Kim Clijsters. I think it was the quarters of the Australian Open. We ran each other in the locker room having the same shirt on. We both had an extra different one. We did Rochambeau to see who would change. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. It was no big deal. We both had a different shirt. Who was. I think, I think I won. I think she changed. Um, but it was, you don't want to go out there in the same outfit as your opponent. And especially when you're trying to build the sport worldwide, it's really tough to explain to some fans like, oh, that's her. And that's, you know, it's have some different outfits out there.
2: And also for all the the fans that are coming in that don't necessarily know all the players. Exactly you, exactly you You exactly need right. something for the fan who's just popping in, right? Uh, what's, the, what's the way to go? High, Higher-ranked player yeah.
3: definitely gets to choose. I
2: yeah, think so. I think so. Yeah. That's just an easy so.
4: way to, to get rid of
3: wouldn't we would do it? Wouldn't the brands want this as well? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't Nike want yep. double the outfits? Wouldn't whatever clothing companies got their line? And it doesn't benefit them necessarily to have two players dressed identically. I think let's let's do this. This shouldn't be Some that hard. Some people
4: get superstitious, right? Yes. But yes. I think hey. if the rule is there, the rule is there. You cannot wear the same outfit yeah, yeah, as your opponent. You have to bring two separate outfits to the courts. And so, higher-ranked player. So, so yeah.
1: seven governing bodies. Mm-hmm. How do we make how do we make this happen? It right. doesn't seem too we, hard, right?
4: Very slow in this <laughs> <laughs> we, uh If we can get the super. <laughs>
3: For tie breaks, <laughs> we, we can get to two outfits. Okay.
1: Yeah. Same outfit. high rank oh, players. Wimbled- Wimbledon could be don't.
2: tricky. Wimbledon could be really <sighs> tricky. You could have, you know, a, a different, different yeah. Yeah, yeah,
3: something different. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just tough. Done. This is easy. <laughs> this, given tennis's challenges, this one's sweet. We can do this. Yep.
1: *Racket Magazine leading the way. Love that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ash Barty, only uh, less than a week now that she remains the reigning Australian Open champion. Somebody new is going to raise Daphne. But it's great to see Ash back in Melbourne Park. Welcome back. It's time for Time stat of the day. Can't wait. Haven't seen it yet. What is it?
3: Two Americans left, but you want an indication of how well the Americans did here? There were these are top 12 seats, right? And Taylor Fritz was one of them. So really, we're talking about 11 guys. Look at this. Nadal loses to Mackie McDonald. Rude. Anyone? Who do you lose to? Jensen Brooksby. Medvedev lost to. Seven right? Seb Herkosh, Seb Korda, Michael Moe. So we have two Americans remaining. They haven't even done the big damage taking out other seeds, but five of the top 12 seeds going out to <laughs> Americans. Boom! Hashtag America. All right. Very good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, well done, done, John. Patriotism. <laughs>
2: Right. All right, hot shot of the day, for Gosh. Team team, All-Brazil getting it done here. Luisa Stefani serving. And Rafael, not Nadal, Stefan. Oh. Matos here fakes the smash, oh. comes up with the tweener. And not only that, wow. they're able to get it done. And they move on into the semifinals. Get the hot shot point. Check this out. Jumps, lands. That's amazing. But still finds that's the tweener. Ponytail does not come out of place. <laughs> <laughs> and gets back with a love. Man, that is a
3: tight oh. pony to be able to keep that on. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I would call Haru's... that a bun, no? Well, nice bun. That's a man bun man right bun. there.
3: Yeah. Har- stone yeah, the that's overhead. A
1: that's, a, well. that's, a, that's, a, that's a bun. That is a bun. Uh, Stefani and Mata—they did great in United Cup as well. That's, that's a good pairing right there. Featured matches today: all quarterfinals. Pliskova, Lynette, Sabalenka, Vekic. That all-American matchup of Shelton and Paul, and then Djokovic and Rublev. We got to talk about Ben Shelton and Tommy Paul. Guaranteed an American man in the semifinals. For the first time since Andy Roddick back in 2009 here at the Australian Open. So well done to both. Who do you think feels more pressure coming into this match?
2: It's got to be Tommy Paul. I mean, he's been gradually progressing up. Last year, his ranking moved up a little bit, but I think his game elevated leaps and bounds. He had a great offseason, as mentioned. Made a racket switch, getting a little bit more pop on the ball. I really like the way he's playing. I think Ben is just coming in where it's just, it's all the house's money right now. He's in that sweet spot where it's right at the beginning of his career. He has no baggage coming in. And, you know, we talked about it earlier this week, John. There's, there's no points to defend. Yeah. So it, there's literally no pressure for him. He can just go out there and, and play as freely as possible. I don't know if there's no pressure
3: playing in the final eight of a major. I mean, I think it's two different varieties of pressure, right? I mean, Tommy Paul can bring his, his veteran status to bear, and Tommy Paul, uh, certainly going by the rankings, is favored to win. It would be a disappointment generationally to let this young buck take what should be his. I think Shelton feels some pressure just in the sense of, like, wow, they're... There are only six players left in this tournament, and I'm one of them. I could be in a major semifinal. You could say sort of he's playing with nothing to lose. Hey, listen, uh, eight months ago I was studying for finals. Um, I I think Shelton could be a little more free swinging, but I I think they both sort of have big opportunity here.
1: Shelton hasn't faced anyone in the top 50 yet, so uh, potentially a challenge there. But listen, uh, Tommy Paul has lost three of his last four to lefties. That's Ben Shelton with the big lefty forehand, Lindsay. Novak Djokovic, Andre Rublev. Andre Rublev said after one match, uh, the one guy nobody wants to face in the draws, Novak Djokovic. Yep. Uh, he's got him. How, how does he somehow get past him?
4: I, I don't know if it's, if it's possible. Even if you look into the lead up, you have to think that Rublev's got to be a little bit on empty, either physically or emotionally, after that crazy win over Runa. And just the opposite for Novak. Played his best match in quite some time to get through. Diemenauer, I think everything is kind of lined up perfectly for Novak. He's getting better as this tournament's going on. Physically, he's also getting better. I I think this is Novak and Straits.
1: Got that one win against him. And one of 13 bagels that Novak has ever taken in his career it was a final. It was in Ser- Serbia. So what you it was last yeah, year. Right, right, no, I'm, right, I'm right. saying he's got a chance. <laughs> okay. It's guaranteed pick time. I'll, I'll lead it off with Djokovic. So, uh, yeah. Lindsay, who's yours?
4: <laughs> I got to choose first, and thank you very much. I chose Pliskova. I okay. think she is playing well. I think she's a heavy favorite, but I think she's looking to do more in the majors. I think she gets it done against Lynette.
3: All right. John, who's your guarantee? Do you know how bold I am? I'm picking a player who has a 1-5 head-to-head record against her opponent. Come on, John. She Come is on, the now. highest remaining seed, number five player, hasn't dropped a set all year. I think Sabalega, I don't know, Locke might be overstating the case, but I do think Sabalenka gets by Dona Vekic. Sabalenka, Prakash, who, who are you
2: guaranteed Well, listen, win? listen, listen. They're, they're not taking Djokovic, joke of it, so I'm going to have to take joke of it. Look, I, I, <laughs> I, I took, I took, I took Robachna yeah, last I time, I'm, and you know, yeah, never got Nostopanko. So I'm going with what I think is slightly more of a lock this time. I'm going with, uh, with Nolan. Uh,
1: you were right yesterday, right?
4: I think so. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember who you I don't.
1: Okay. Well, you were right. Yeah, I was right. John, you took... Jesse Pegues. Oh, sorry. all right, sorry. So I, I like your bounce back choice. Right, I like good. your bounce
4: back. We're <laughs> looking
2: good so far.
1: Yeah, I think I think, right. think Joe. I mean, it's that's that's going to be tough. Yeah, that's the one. I don't know. Five right. and one. Donna Vekic. The see. Pam Shriver effect. I Someone's mean, gotta be bold. We'll see.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks once again for joining us here on TC Live. We will be back 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Eastern tomorrow. Encore coverage, 6 a.m. Eastern with Brett and Paul. You don't want to miss that. The semifinals will be set when we see you tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. More tennis.